Welcome to Sermons and Sounds of Plymouth, the podcast of Plymouth United Church of Christ. I am Pastor David, and on behalf of the members of this congregation, thank you very much for joining us. May God bless you through these words, and may you know God's love through them. Now, the podcast. Our gospel lesson is from the Gospel of John, and this takes place on the evening of uh, the very first Easter. And so hear now and listen for how God is speaking to you through these words of John's Gospel. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the, then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. And Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. And here ends the reading. Thanks be to God. Now we are coming off of a very wonderful Holy Week, if we can call a week that's kind of centered around crucifixion uh, wonderful, but we had uh, some great worship services that were very meaningful, nourishing, soul-blessing. I think one of the best Holy Weeks that I remember in quite some time. It's a wonderful, wonderful week, and we began with that passion narrative, dramatic reading, our wonderful voice actors here at Plymouth brought life to the passion narrative on Palm and Passion Sunday, and our children also helped with that. We had Maundy Thursday, worship with communion, we did the washing of hands, uh, and then we read the, the tenebrae readings, the shadows, the readings in darkness, cloaking the sanctuary in black. Good Friday service down at First Congregational, and then last Sunday we had a very happy and joy-filled worship service, a celebration of resurrection and Easter with a lot of wonderful music and a delicious array of magnificent muffins before worship. Really, really good Holy Week. But, you know, the disciples had their Holy Week. 
And they weren't calling it Holy Week at the time because they didn't know how it was going to end or that it was going to be a week or anything. For them, uh, it wasn't so wonderful. Not so wonderful because they were living it. They were experiencing it as it happened. They weren't reading about it like we are. And when we can read about it knowing how it ends, we know the end of that story. They were living it. They were the ones at Jesus' feet, learning uh, and experiencing Jesus, eating with him. They're the ones that had their feet washed by him. They're the ones who betrayed him, who abandoned him, and who watched him be crucified, and who buried him. And while our Easter morning was full of uh, glorious music and the good news of life and new life and resurrection and second chances and new opportunities and God's grace, their Easter was filled with really weird stuff. It was a really weird day for them. Beginning with an, an empty tomb, a missing body, and angels, and this very neatly wrapped linen that had wrapped Jesus sitting on the bench. It's a pretty strange day. Don't normally encounter that kind of a day, especially after the kind of week that they had. And then later in that evening of the day with the empty tomb and the angels and Mary saying that she's seen the risen Lord. Then while you're in a a locked room, you have a back a back-to-life friend who just appears and says, peace be with you. And as I went through, not really even kind of, most of Lent, and especially toward the end of Lent, I was particularly struck this year by the physicality of all of this, especially of Holy Week. I, the, the, you know, the, there's always been this bodily, physical part, but for some reason this year it really struck me, and that's what I've been thinking about a lot. Uh, and I think even in my Monday Thursday uh, sermon and some others have, have hit on this. I, I don't know. There's something about the physicality of it this year that really struck me. And certainly the whole story of Jesus is a physical, embodied, incarnational story. It begins on Christmas. God incarnate coming to us as a human being, as the baby Jesus. It it begins as an incarnational story, a boy who is God, a God who is a boy. And it does seem like we often, in the church, kind of forget about that incarnational embodied aspect of the faith. We tend to think that our minds should be on spiritual matters and differentiate the spiritual from the physical as though the body separate from the spiritual things or, or forget or maybe even deny that we live in bodies. We are flesh. And the universe is created of physical things. And that incarnational bodily thought really started the week before Palm Sunday when we read the story of Mary, of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. That story of Martha anointing Jesus' feet with that costly nard and wiping it with her hair. It's a very intimate, physical act. 
love expressed through love of the body. There's no shame about having a body and the recognition that the spiritual is incarnational, that the body, physical matter, is spiritual as well. There was a a group in the very first couple centuries of the church, a branch of Christianity that uh, we call the Gnostics, that, that denied the physical nature that said all flesh is corrupt, all flesh is evil, so we need to deny our bodies and deny the physicality and think only of that which is spiritual. And they took that idea so much that they said the flesh is so corrupt that even though God came as Jesus, Jesus was not human at all. It was purely spiritual matter because flesh is too corrupt and evil for God to enter into it. It would make God impure or unholy. Uh, and that, uh, that branch of Christianity was eventually kind of toned down, fought down, beat down. Uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't this really nice debate where they just kind of went, well, okay, yeah, we see your point. Um, but the official church doctrine eventually became that God was fully human, or that Jesus was fully human and fully divine at the same time. It is a spiritual and flesh together. So there's this f- physical property, and, and we got that on, on Palm Sunday. Jesus enters into Jerusalem on a colt, and then Jesus washes his disciples' feet, and he wipes their feet off with his robe, and then he feeds them, he gives them wine, they sing. It's this physical act to sing. Then they go to the garden for prayer. Certainly they had to walk there. They had to go there in bodily form to go to the garden. They pray to Jesus is arrested. He's put on trial. He's passed from Pilate over to Herod, back to Pilate, and crucified. That's certainly uh, an incredibly physical moment to be crucified and then buried, put in the tomb, and the stone rolled away, and the disciples say goodbye to their friend and teacher and guide. And then a couple days later is this uh, another physical event, although this is one with nothing there. They go to the tomb, and the body's gone. There's no body. It's just a linen. And then later in the day, later that, uh, that evening, in a locked room, uh, all the disciples except Thomas are in this locked room, and suddenly there he is in bodily form. Jesus shows up, and he shows you his wounds. He says, am I real? Yes. Yes, I am. Look, look, touch, feel my hands. Look at my hands. Feel my side. Touch the wounds. It's me. It's Jesus. I'm really here. Imagine he may have said, you want to know how much I love you? You want to know how much I love you, how much God loves you? Then touch and look and feel these wounds that I endured, that I went through. Listen to my words. Trust that I'm here. He may even have said, smell me. Perhaps his feet were still uh, fragrant with the perfume of nard from Mary. 
And I don't imagine that he would have said, taste me. Probably didn't go for that particular sense, but everything else there. But he will, in a few days after, after we read uh, the section that we read, he comes back again to the disciples on the shore of the Sea of Tiberias. He's prepared breakfast for them. He's grilled some fish. And he can say there, have some fish, have breakfast, taste This is my love for you. You can taste it in this breakfast I've prepared for you. Your body needs food to live. And so here is food. Let me give this to you. And then while they're eating there on the shoreline, Jesus tells Peter, feed my lambs. And then he says, tend my sheep. And then he says, feed my sheep. Love lived out in bodily form. We are called to do embodied acts. Christian faith is lived incarnationally, bodily, tending to physical needs. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was in prison, and you visited me. Embodied love. So I think here that maybe we shouldn't be too harsh on Thomas. Because their whole experience with Jesus, everything has been embodied, physical. Stuff that Jesus has done, they've seen it. They've heard it. They've been able to touch it. They've been witnesses to everything uh, that Jesus has done. And every, all the other disciples except Thomas have, have seen Jesus the risen Jesus. They've had the physical experience of seeing Jesus. And so why wouldn't Thomas want to have that same experience of wanting to see the risen Jesus as well? Maybe he feels kind of cheated. Like, well, why did he show up when I wasn't there? No one has been asked to believe without seeing so far in any of Jesus' story. Thomas just wants what the other disciples had. And I don't, I don't think Thomas's failure here is not that he doesn't believe that Jesus has risen. I think he either believes it or is certainly ready to believe it. He just wants to see it. But if there is any failure here, uh, then his failure is that he doesn't believe his friends, these people that he's traveled with for a few years, that maybe he ought to trust more trust their witness, and trust their testimony. Believe that they would not lie to him. But even so, I'm not going to fault I'm not going to fault Thomas here. He's been through a lot, as all the disciples had, and as we've experienced in life, if we're going through grief or anxiety, we often act in ways that maybe aren't our normal nature. We do unusual things. That's just part of, of the process. Can make any of us do odd things, and I would think being told uh, that this guy that you thought was the Messiah that you saw die, uh, and then you're told that he's now alive, you might not take that on faith. You might want to see it as everyone else had. And then in another physical act, when Jesus is in the room with his disciples, he breathes on them. Here's the Holy Spirit. Have 
the Holy Spirit. Because soon Jesus is going to disappear. And the Holy Spirit is what is left behind for us. He breathes on them. And then gives them this charge. If you forgive, it shall be so. If you don't forgive, then it shall be so. Which I take, I think is more Jesus warning them about not being too slow to forgive. I think this is Jesus' way of saying you have incredible power. Use it for good. Forgive. Don't ever not forgive. Because if you don't forgive, that stays with people. And certainly stays with the one who refuses to forgive. And given some of the other commands that Jesus has offered them, over his time together about washing feet and loving one another and loving enemies, praying for enemies, feeding the sheep, tending the sheep, and giving water and food to those who need it. I think Jesus is saying, forgive. Be forgiving. And meet the needs of the people who are around you, which is where we're called to be. To meet the needs of our our neighbors. And some would reduce Christianity to simply being about getting into heaven. And I think that misses a whole big part of what our faith is. It's not about getting to heaven. It's about embodying the kingdom here. Embodying heaven here. Bringing heaven on earth. Bringing the kingdom here on earth to the people around us. And being engaged in the world. Being engaged in the world. And so we live out this incarnational charge, this charge from Jesus to be his body here on earth. As part of our our communion litany. This is to remind us that we are the body of Christ. And so we live out our incarnational charge here in Eau Claire with quilts and with our street ministry. We live it out by feeding one another. Not just feeding our neighbors, but also feeding one another. How many meals have we served in the history of this congregation? How many people have been fed in our 125, 126 years as a church. And we meet the physical needs of our community through St. Francis and through the community table and the needs of the world through our uh, giving to OCWM, our church's wider mission, the money that goes to the denomination uh, to help with disaster relief uh, and to bring food where it's needed or bring medical supplies where it's needed to bring tents and blankets, clothing, whatever might be needed. That's all part of us embodying, being the embodied spirit of Christ here on earth. And we also have it in our sacraments. Our baptism and communion are both also physical embodied acts, the water of baptism for cleansing and the bread of communion and the wine of communion for nourishing body and soul. And I saw a quote that said of the embodied nature of communion and of the sacraments. 
It's not so much that we find there a better Christ than we can find in the word. That we can find a a better Christ through this physical act than we can find through hearing the word or uh, doing something less physical. It's not so much that we find in it a better Christ than we find in the word, but to find that we might find Christ better through that act. So think of that as we celebrate communion this morning. Amen. Thank you again for listening to the Sermons and Sounds of Plymouth podcast. If you are in the Eau Claire area, we especially invite you to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. And I invite you also to check out our website at pcucc.com for upcoming events and special worship services. From Plymouth United Church of Christ, Eau Claire, Wisconsin, this is Pastor David. Thank you for spending this time with us. May God bless you.